Hello world. Welcome back to my one-person podcast, The Bible Abridged. Today's episode is brought to you by BigBadHangover.com, a hangover cure that totally works. Well, anyways, today we start the book of Numbers. I'm going to be skimming over most of this book because it's a lot of it's just a lot of numbers and shit. But I promised the whole Bible and I plan to deliver it. Numbers 1. So even though in the last book we were told that that cool old Bedouin Jethro, who was named after Jethro Tull, was the one who suggested to Moses that they do a census. Now they're saying that God came down and told him to do it. Or at least account the men who were able to serve in the military. Well, all in all, he counted 603,550 men who were over 20. So that, by my estimates, puts the Hebrew population wandering around the fucking desert at about 1.5 million people. So basically, this whole time, Moses was walking around the population of Philadelphia, following him and obeying his every random command, eating weird flakes and drinking water out of a rock that he hit with a stick. I'm not saying this number isn't correct, and by not saying, I mean, I'm absolutely saying that. But to give you an idea, uh, 1.5 million people standing in a line holding hands would stretch 1,125 kilometers, or 700 miles. So if this group held hands and stood in a line, they'd stretch over three times further than the distance between Jerusalem, where they were going, and Goshen, Egypt, where they were coming from. Also, this would be about 1.5% of the population of the entire world at the time. Also, also, this would mean that the Israelite camp would have to find a way to dispose of 9 million pounds or over 4,000 metric tons of human shit every single week. But I digress. Also, Moses told them not to count Levites in the census because they were just supposed to be in charge of moving the tabernacle around. And if anyone else did it, it would fucking die. Numbers 2 is just a list of the population, and Numbers 3 is taking account of new babies and settling taxes to cover said babies. Number 4 is breaking down different Levite factions and then counting them, even though they said they weren't going to. Numbers 5. This chapter goes through the same rules as Leviticus, about getting rid of people with skin diseases and people paying back 120% as restitution. But then it gets to a whole new crazy. Here it is. If a man suspects that his wife has cheated on him, but he can't prove it, there's a foolproof way to find out. First, take her down to the priest with three pounds of barley flour, without olive oil or incense in it, naturally. And then the priest will make her stand in front of God and take some holy water in a clay jar and put some holy dust in that water. What's holy dust, you ask? It's dust from the floor of the tabernacle. That's all. Then the priest will loosen her hair, put three pounds of barley flour in her hands, and then put her under oath. Then the priest says, If you didn't fuck anyone but your husband, then this bitter water full of holiness and dust will not harm you. But if you did fuck someone else, then this water will make your womb miscarry and your abdomen swell, and you'll miscarry and your abdomen will swell. Not sure why I had to say that twice. And also, are we just assuming that all women are pregnant all the time? I guess it explains the 1.5 million people. Anyways, the lady will say, Amen, so be it. And the priest will write these curses on a scroll and wash them off into the water. And then take her barley and put it on the altar. And then he makes her drink the aforementioned holy dust inky water. And if she cheated, she'll miscarry and go barren. If she didn't, she'll be just fine. 
Rock solid evidence. Number six. If anyone decides to be a Nazarite, which ironically looks like Nazi, right? And I'm unclear as to what the hell the title even means. But if you want to be one, you can't drink wine anymore. Actually, you can't drink any alcohol. You can't even have wine vinegar or grapes or raisins or even fucking grape seeds. You can never cut your hair and you can never be near a dead person. But if someone dies in your presence, you have to cut all your hair off. Make sense? No? Moving on. Of course you have to kill animals and set them on fire when it's... Then when it's all done, I'm, I'm not sure. There doesn't really seem to be any point to all of this. Well, number seven goes, off, goes through all the stuff that people gave Moses for his dedication to the tabernacle and kind of reads it the 12 Days of Christmas song. Numbers eight has Moses again, separating the Levites from the rest of the tribes. And then numbers nine has God commanding people to celebrate Passover and then shows the reason they were so horribly lost in the desert. So apparently he was in the form of a cloud that looked like fire. And he would just wander around Sinai aimlessly, and wherever he would go, they would set up camp. So the odds are, they were just walking around in circles and camping wherever they saw a cloud. 1.5 million people were doing this. 32 goddamn Yankee stadiums full of people did this. Numbers 10. So now God decided to have Moses make some trumpets to let people know they were heading out. And after a while, Moses' father-in-law decided to get back to his cool Bedouin friends and stop wandering around following a cloud. Whenever the ark would get moved, Moses would sing a song. Hey God, rise and shine. May your enemies be scattered. May all your enemies run away from you because they're scared. And then when it would set down again, he'd sing, Come back, God, to the countless thousands of Israel. Which is an odd thing to say because he just counted them. Numbers 11. Well, some people complained and then God set them on fire. Then Moses asked him to stop. People kept complaining about how they wanted to eat something other than those weird flakes that fell on the ground. Speaking of that, if all the food they had was manna, where the hell was this barley coming from for the purity test from earlier? Eh. Bigger discrepancies than these, I suppose. Well, God decided after burning a bunch of people and then turning 70 people into prophets for a very brief amount of time, he'd send some quail their way. Seems like God's a pretty random dude. Numbers 12. So apparently Moses' wife was black. I didn't realize that before, but yeah, she was a Cushite. Well, this made Aaron and Miriam decide to start talking shit. Kind of. They said, why did God decide to talk through Moses and not through us? Which some might say is a simple question, but it was enough to piss God off. I'm not entirely sure how that's anything to do with Moses' wife being black, but that's what it says. Well, then it says, now Moses was more humble than anyone else in the face of the earth. That is what it says in this book that's written by Moses. So because Moses was so humble, God decided to take matters into his own hands. He came over them like a dense fog and sing a song. I give prophets visions and dreams, but not Moses. We talk like a couple of friends. So why weren't you afraid to talk shit? And then he gave Miriam leprosy. And he gave Aaron nothing. No punishment. So Miriam had to go outside the 1.5 million person camp for a week, and then she was fine. Numbers 13. Moses sent a bunch of people out to check out Canaan, telling them what to look for. 
What's the quality of the land? How strong are the people? How fortified are their towns? If you can, bring back some fruit. After 40 days, which is way more than enough time to gather that kind of information, they came back with some grapes and said, Well, their cities are very well fortified and large, so we probably can't take them. Which is odd, because the Israeli army was 600,000 people strong, to easily wipe out any city it came across just by sheer numbers. It's not like the enemy had Gatling guns or anything like that. Well, one guy named Caleb said, No, nah, we can take them. Let's do it. But everyone else just insisted, No, they're all giants. They're so big that we look like grasshoppers compared to them. So, these people are so large that we look like grasshoppers to them, making them larger than any creature that has ever lived on planet Earth. Numbers 14. Well, upon this news that there were people over 200 feet tall, just on the other side of this mountain, and they would never be able to conquer them, everyone started complaining. Why did we ever leave Egypt? We've been wandering around in circles for over a year in the desert, eating nothing but weird flakes and occasionally quail. Let's just find a new leader and head back to Egypt. This pissed God off, and he said, Ugh, these people continue to treat me with contempt. I should kill a bunch of them. I will punish their great-great-grandchildren for this. After some back and forth, Moses and God decided the best course of action was that nobody who grumbled was allowed to enter the promised land. But also, God was so mad about the lies of the giants that he killed every spy except Caleb. When the army decided to listen to Caleb them and attack the promised land, God was, so, was still super hurt about people doubting him, so he left them to fight alone and let thousands of them get slaughtered. So there's a lesson here. It's that God is more sensitive than a conservative male and will absolutely punish you and your innocent descendants, who never even met you, if you ever doubt him. And that's all I have for this week. Check back next week for more on this book and check out BigBadHangover.com if you're the drinking type.